Well, good morning, everyone. And the sound of that rain, just wonderful, lovely, beautiful. It was nice to get up this morning and the cool weather and to walk outside, have that fresh smell. So grateful. We've been praying for rain for a long time, and God is answering those prayers, and we are so grateful for that. As Lance said, open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be talking about our confidence that we have in Christ. I don't know about you, but there are some times in my life that I just need a little bit of encouragement. It doesn't take very long as we go through the week for us to find things that can bring us down, things that may discourage us a little bit. For example, if you turn on the news, it doesn't take very long to get discouraged when we see all the crazy things that are going on in our world. Or we see the stupid things that all of our politicians, and I say all of them, I mean all of them, continue to do over and over, and we just shake our heads, and it can get very discouraging. But one of the most discouraging things that I faced uh, recently is I went to Walmart just to get a few items. Real quick, run in, run out. Usually I avoid Walmart, but I went there this day because it was right there close to our house. And I stand in line at the self-checkout with my few items while all these people are going through their line. They got baskets full of stuff. Had to stand there forever. And then I get up to the line, and which is common for me when I go to Walmart or any grocery store where I have to do the self-checkout, that little scanner thing never works. I can't get it to scan items, and so usually somebody will have to come over and help me, and I feel stupid and all that. But what really frustrates me is after I get done at Walmart scanning and checking myself out, and I look at the receipt, I do not see my discount for being my own self-cashier. It just drives me crazy. But there's little things that we have in life that can frustrate us, that can bring us down, that can discourage us. Sometimes it's that someone lets us down because they didn't act the way that we think they should act or they didn't do something the way we think that they should do it and we're looking at them and we get a little bit discouraged. And the list can go on and on. As a matter of fact, for some of you in your mind, you may be thinking right now since I brought it up, thank you very much, that there was something this week that just really got me down. And here's what I find. When I get discouraged, when I began to rehearse it in my mind, I began to get a little bit depressed. I began to get a little bit anxious. I get angry. All these different things are going through my mind. So here's what I do, and I'm sure I'm the only one that does this, but I find somebody that I can rehearse this with, that I can share this with. And when I look for somebody to share it with, I don't look for somebody that's going to encourage me. I look for somebody that's going to agree with me right? I mean, I, I'm down. I want everybody to be down with me. Let's, let's just get mad together. And we do that. And sometimes that can bring us down in life. I was reading a devotion this week from Max Licato where he talks about having a conversation with his wife. And he says for over an hour, he was sharing with his wife all of his woes in life. Finally, after over an hour, his wife interrupts him and says, I have a question for you. Is God in this anywhere? I love that question. I usually ask the question a little bit different. I ask the question, where is God in all of this? Because I believe this, God is constantly at work. 
He is constantly working in our lives. He's constantly working around us. But sometimes we get focused on the little things. And by the way, everything that I just mentioned was little things that shouldn't be a problem. But we get focused on those little things because they're right in front of us where we miss what God is doing in our life. And sometimes we need a little encouragement. Anybody need encouragement today? Okay, so there's about two more than the early service. So for the rest of you that don't need any encouragement, we're glad you're here. Uh, but uh, for those of you that need encouragement, uh, this passage is for us. Because in Romans chapter 8, the entire passage is a passage of encouragement. It is a chapter where Paul is writing some very encouraging words to us. As a matter of fact, uh, this whole passage uh, reminds me of a trip that I took with uh, several pastors a couple years ago. I've shared this before, but we were riding up to the top of a mountain on four-wheelers, and we would ride up this. It was a beautiful mountain, and it was like every curve that we turned on in this mountain, it was just better than the last one. It was very encouraging. It was very relaxing. We were enjoying all of God's creation, all of God's beauty. We were amazed at what God had placed there for us to enjoy. But we go around the very last curve at the top of the mountain, and we were in awe of what God has created. As we stood on the top of this mountain, we were literally on top of the world. You could look over, it was like you're looking over the entire Colorado. You're seeing over the top of all the mountains, you're seeing the valleys. And it was just a beautiful sight, a great reminder of God's creation. And we stood in awe. As a matter of fact, it's the first time, and I think the only time in my life, that I've been around a group of pastors and everyone was speechless. It was great. Um, but we were just in awe. And to me, Romans chapter 8 is that way. So as you go through Romans chapter 8, you're taking these different curves, and Paul is pointing out all kinds of things that we need uh, to see. And it's a book of encouragement. It's a passage of encouragement. We're just amazed. And then we get to the last verses that we're going to look at in just a moment, in verses 38 through 39, and it's like we've reached the mountaintop. And we just stand in awe of who we are in Christ, who we are in God. We stand in awe and amazed at all that He has done and all that He has provided for us that believe and place our faith and trust in Him. So I pray that this text this morning would be an encouragement to all of us. But more than that, I pray that this text today would be life-changing for us. Because I believe this, that God's Word is powerful. And God's Word is still changing lives today. And so if we will look at this with an open heart and an open mind, then I believe God can use it to change our very lives. And so as we consider this this morning, I want us to think about what God has done in our lives and what God continues to do in our lives. So Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 31. Notice what he says. He says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. 
Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Doesn't mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the Scripture says, For your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. And even the power of hell cannot separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you today for the hope that we have in you. God, I thank you for the encouragement that we have through this passage today. And God, as we study this together, I pray that you would just use this time to speak to our hearts, that we would receive from you today what you have for us. And so I pray that you would just right now remove any distractions from our thought, from our minds, and that God, we would meet with you as we study this passage together. And it's in Christ's name that I pray, amen. As we look at this passage today, some people say that this passage is written uh, all about chapter 8. It's just like he's talking about what has happened in chapter 8. And when you think about what has taken place in chapter 8, he starts at the very beginning of chapter 8, and he says, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, that is great news today. And we could stop right there. He wouldn't have had to write anymore. He could have stopped right there. And we would say, that is wonderful news that no longer are we under condemnation of sin because of Christ Jesus. But he doesn't stop there and he continues on and he begins to share uh, of how this works in our life. And, And we see that because Christ is now in us, that we are no longer slaves to sin. And not only are we not slaves to sin, but as he continues on, we see that we have been adopted into God's family. And that adoption takes place at the moment of salvation when we surrender our lives to Christ and we say yes to Him. And not only that, but it is at that moment that the Spirit begins to live inside of us and gives us direction in life and guides us in life. But he goes on to say there that it's at that moment that we become children of God. It's a wonderful hope, a wonderful passage. We also see in this passage that God works all things together for the good of those that love Him. He's doing a great work and it's a great passage, but I believe that this goes much further than just what we see in chapter 8. I believe that what he is talking about is what is happening from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 8. 
If you were to go back and to read Romans beginning in chapter 1, if you read chapters 1 through 3, you would see some discouraging stuff in there because in those chapters it reminds us that because of sin that has come into the world, that we are separated from God and we are under judgment because of that sin that is in our life. But something changes in Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 23. There the Bible says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So back in the Old Testament, the law was given and you had to keep all of the law to be in right standing with God. But what the law really showed us was that we are in need of a savior, that we cannot keep the law on our own. As a matter of fact, I will prove this. How many of you have broken one of the Ten Commandments? One of the big ten, right? If you haven't, if you didn't raise your hand, you just lied. And so, well, join the rest of the club, right? We, we can't do all that we need to do to be in a right standing with God. And God knew that. And God had a, had a plan for that. And so, it goes on in uh, Romans chapter 3. In verse 22, he says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So what is happening there in that passage, we're reminded that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we've all sinned, we're all in the same boat, we're all sinners, right? Great news, right? And because of that sin, we've been separated from God. We're under the judgment of that sin. But it says that God made a way. And the way that God made was through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He gave His Son to us. And that through Him, we can be restored in our relationship with God. And then He goes on in Romans chapter 4. And He lets us know that it is through faith that we have this relationship with God. And then in Romans chapter 5, we see that we have now, because of our relationship with Christ, been reconciled with God. And then in Romans chapter 6 and 7, we see that now the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And in Romans chapter 8, we see that because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, now we are part of God's family. We are one of His children. We've been adopted by Him. And I don't know if you understand what adoption means, but when you're adopted into God's family, that means that you have all the rights of God's family. And now we are heirs with Jesus Christ to all of God's glory. That's some great news. And so we get to this passage where we start today, and he starts out and he says, so what shall we say about such wonderful things? All these things that I've been sharing with you, what shall we say about all of these things? That is such an incredible uh, story of how God has worked all of this out. What can we say about all these things? Well, he doesn't just leave us hanging with that question. Um, he goes on and he gives us a few answers of what we can say about this. And here's the first thing that I want you to see this morning. By the way, I must let you know that as I was going through this this week, there is so much stuff here and I've got all kinds of things in my head. I tried to put some notes together to kind of keep me on track. Uh, but 
I can go off all day long on this, so I need to know that you're getting it. Because if I don't think you're getting it, I'm going to keep going till I know that you're getting it. And I've got nothing to do till Wednesday. Okay? So uh, are you with me? Are you ready? So the first thing is this. The first thing that he points out. What can we say to all these things? God is for us. God is for us. I want you to think about that for a moment. I, I believe this today. I believe that there's someone here that needs to hear those words. God is for us. He's not against us. He said, and if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. So here's what I want you to do. Because someone needs to hear these words. I want you to look at your neighbor. Look them in the eye and say, God is for us. That was awful quiet. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that God is for us and not against us? Aren't you glad he's for us and not against us? So if you believe it, look at your neighbor and say, God is for us, but say it like you mean it. All right. Isn't that good news? Isn't that encouraging news today? This news that we can stand on. God is for us. But here's what I want to do. I want us to personalize this. Because I think it's real easy for us to look at a world around us, look at others around us, and say, you know what? God is for you. Don't get discouraged because God is for you. But sometimes we're not really believing that about ourselves. We're, we're going through life. Things have happened. And sometimes I think we question that ourselves. So here's what I want you to do. And on three, we're going to do it all together. And we're going to do it like we mean it. And here it is. We're going to say, God is for me. Ready? One, two, three. Still not convinced you totally believe that, but I'm telling you, that is some great news. And that is news that we need to be reminded of. God is for me. God is for us. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And the answer to that question is no one. There's no one that can be against us. But, you know, there's people that come against me. The whole world seems to be against me. But there is nothing that they can do to you because God is for you. Who can come against you and who can prevail against you? Absolutely no one because God is for you. But the question is, how do I know that God is for me? I mean, that's great news today. I like hearing that, but how do I know that God is for me? Well, he answers that question in verse 32. Look back at verse 32. It says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Here's what he's saying. You want to know that God is for you? You want to know how much God is for you? Look to the cross. Because here's what he did on the cross. And we go back to Romans chapter 3, where God has prepared a way. Sin has separated us from God. But God has prepared a way for that relationship to be restored. And it happened when he gave his one and only son who went to the cross, who died for you, who died for me, who gave his very life so that our relationship with God could be restored. I want you to be reminded today of how much God loves you. And I want you to look to the cross as proof to what God has done for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that if you would just believe in Him 
and place your faith and trust in Him that you would have everlasting life with Him. And you can put your name in that passage for God so loved David Bagwell that He gave His one and only Son. That's all the proof that I need of God's love. And that is true for you. You can place your name in there that God loved you so much. And then as we're thinking about this and and he's reminding us that God loves us and God is for us and since God is for us, no one can be against us and he gives the proof of why, then he gives us some insurances here that we can rest in. The first is this, that he will not hold anything from us. He Again, in verse 32, it says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything? Now, I need to warn you that the everything that he's talking about there, that he's going to freely give to us, is not the things of this world. That's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about here is that he gave everything that was necessary for us to be restored in our relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And if he was willing to give us his very son, his one and only son, for us to be able to be restored in that relationship with him, then is he not going to give us everything else so that we could be uh, we can rest assured that that salvation is secure in him? Then we don't have to worry whether we're living good enough today, that we're doing enough of this, we're doing enough of that. God has taken care of it. That when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, it is all taken care of. Won't He freely give us all things so that we can know that we are secure in Him? That our relationship is secure in Him? In 2 Peter 1.3, the Bible says that by His divine power, God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. God has provided all. Won't He freely give it to us? If He was willing to give us His one and only Son, isn't He going to take that and make sure that we're secure in that to make sure that we have everything that is necessary for us to be able to live our life in Him? Why does He do that? Because God is for us. God is not against us. God is for us. He loves us that much that He made a way and He secured the way by giving us all things that are necessary. The second thing is this, that no one can bring any accusation against you that will stand. Again, notice what He says. He goes on uh, in verse 33 where He says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? And then he answers it. He says, no one. There's no one that can accuse you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Anybody? Maybe you were accused of saying something you didn't say. And when we're accused of something that we didn't do, that we're not guilty of, I don't know about you, but I I don't feel good about that. That bothers me when that happens. But Scripture tells us that we have an accuser. And that accuser's name is Satan. In Revelation chapter 12, 10, we are shown that he is the accuser that is standing before God day and night, accusing the brethren. And in Zechariah 3, 1, Zechariah was given a vision of Satan standing at the right side of Joshua. And as he stands at the side of Joshua, his whole purpose of being there is to throw out accusations against Joshua. Now here's the problem. We have this accuser that is accusing us before God day and night. 
And he's accusing us of things that we're not guilty of. No, he's accusing us of things that we are guilty of. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And not only that, but after we come to know Christ, how many of you know that we still mess up along the way, right? There's still sin that comes in. And so you get this picture of this accuser that's standing before God that every time we mess up, he's saying, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that? But here's the good news today. It's almost like a picture of Satan in the courtroom, God sitting on the throne in the courtroom, and Satan is throwing out all these accusations. And as he throws out these accusations, God looks at him. And he says, that evidence is not admissible in this courtroom because they have been justified through what my son did on the cross. You know what justified means? It means you are free from all of that. You are free. There's not an accusation that is thrown out against you that shall stand. Isn't that good news today? That there's no accusation that the enemy is going to be able to throw out that will stand. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That cleansing of all unrighteousness is, means that it's been wiped clean. You have been made righteous by God through what His Son Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, then that promise is true for you. And we can be encouraged by that. That even though there's someone that's out there accusing us, and by the way, Satan is not only good at standing before God and throwing out these accusations, but he's also good at being in our ear, reminding us of all of our faults and failures. And we can look back at him and say, nope, that was taken care of 2,000 years ago on a hill far away from here when my Lord and Savior took that sin and he died on the cross for me. And then he goes on and it kind of ties in together, but he goes on and he says, who can condemn us? And the answer to that is no one. Who can condemn you? No one. And here's why. There's only one person that has the right to condemn us. And that person is Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, again, took those sins. He took all your sins, past, present, and future. He knew everything that you were going to do, say, and that was wrong. And He took all of those sins and He nailed them to the cross. He died for those sins. And if He died for those sins, why would He take those sins back out and condemn you for those sins when He's already paid the price for them? And the answer is, He won't do it. You, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that point. No condemnation for who? Those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we have received the forgiveness that comes through Him. So who will condemn you? No one. Uh, I don't want you to miss this today. John three sixteen through 18. Again, says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And then He goes on and He says, For those that believe in Me, those who have placed their faith and trust in Me, there is now no condemnation. But for those who have not received me. Those who have not believed in me, there is condemnation. They are condemned already. That is why you will hear us say over and over 
and over again. The most important decision you can make in your life is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because if you reject Him, according to Scripture, according to what He says, you are already condemned. But the moment you receive Him as your Lord and Savior, there is no more condemnation that's on you. The most important decision you will ever make is saying yes to Jesus and following Him as your Lord and Savior. And then I want you to notice not only all that, but now we have an advocate in Jesus. He goes on to say that Christ died and He is now sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. I love the way that this version reads that. Pleading for us. Some say that He's praying for us. But we get this image of Christ who is now seated next to God on His throne pleading on our behalf. Now as I was thinking about this week, I thought of this. I thought, you know, if I knew that Jesus Christ right now was in one of the other rooms on the other side of this wall praying for me, pleading for me, then I would be ready to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol knowing that there's nothing that I need to fear in this life. But let me remind you of something today. There is no distance with God. Sometimes we picture God way out there far away and Christ is way out there far away, but His presence is right here near us. He is close to us and it's like He's even closer than being in the room next to us and He is right there pleading for us, praying for us. Why do we fear anything in this world? Why do we fear anything that can come against us? Why do we get discouraged when we know that we have an advocate? And I can't think of a better advocate to have on our side that is pleading before God for us, for me, and for you each and every day. We have an accuser that's accusing, but we have an advocate that is pleading for us. And his name is Jesus. No better advocate that we could ever have. And so why do we fear? Why do we get discouraged when we know that God is for us? God is for us, not against us. The second thing that I want us to see this morning is that not only is God for us, but there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Look back at verses 38 through 39. It says, And I am convinced... That nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church says, hallelujah, amen, glory to God. There is nothing that I can face in this world that will ever separate me from Him. What a word to stand on when we get discouraged in life. We can think about that. Nothing in this world can separate us. When we face hard times, when we face difficult times, nothing is going to separate me from the love of God. You think about everything that this world could throw at you, everything that can come our way. What is the worst thing that can happen to you? And when you ask people that question, a lot of times say, well, the worst thing is that they could kill me. I could die. Is that really the worst thing? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, that may be one of the best things that can happen. Not that we're rushing that. But what are we worried about? 
I don't know about you, but one of the worst things I worry about is torture. I don't like pain. I don't want to go through pain. But the reality is in this life, we're going to have pain. We're going to have things that, we're, that are going to be difficult, that we're going to struggle with. And no matter what it is, we can rest assured to know that there is nothing in this world that will separate us from the love of God. And you know why? Because God is for you. Not against you. God is for you. I think sometimes we get this image of God that God is coming against me. Things are happening and we step back and we say, why, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? Why all these things? Why Do you hate me today? Whatever it is. Here's one of the greatest tools that I believe Satan uses against the church, against those that are followers of Christ, and it is this. That somehow God's love for us is determined by our actions. What we do or what we don't do. Sometimes God's love for us is determined by how well we read His Word, how well we walk with Him, how well we behave, all the commandments, how well we do this. But God's love is not determined by anything that you do, but it is determined by everything that Christ did. And as we go through life, we need to be reminded that God's love for us is the greatest love that we could ever imagine. As a matter of fact, His love is so great, we can't even comprehend it. Sometimes we want to measure His love by our love. We can never love like God loves. We can never love with the kind of love that God loves. But God loves us so much because He is for us. And He is not against us. So the question that I have today is, what do we do with all this? I think it's very easy. We, we live our life each and every day with confidence, knowing that if God is for me, no one can be against me. If God is for me, I have hope. I have joy. I have peace. Because I know the things of this world are temporary things, but God's love goes on forever and ever and ever for all of eternity. It will never change. It will never end. God loves me that much. Do you recognize today God's love? Do you understand His love? When we think about His love, if we understand it the way that the writer of this passage understood it, then we understand more of what He means in Philippians 1.21 when He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. When I understand how much God loves me, then I am going to live for Him. I am going to stand in confidence in Him because I know that living for Him is great while I'm here on this earth, but it only gets better from here. It only gets better. For those that don't know Christ, let me remind you, this is as good as it gets. But for those that know Christ, it only gets better. Then we also understand what he said in Philippians 1.6 where he says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day that Christ returns. Nothing can separate us from his love. He will see it through. Have you received his love today? through His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision today to follow Him? And if you've made that decision, all these promises are yours. This is the mountaintop where we're looking and we should be standing in awe, looking at all that God has done for us and who we are in Him.
If you don't know him today as your Lord and Savior, then today I would challenge you, make that most important decision and come to him today. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for the reminder in your word of who we are. God, I thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your wonderful love that is greater than we can even imagine or, or completely understand this side of heaven. God, we are so grateful for that love. God, I pray that today for each one of us here that this passage would be an encouragement to us. That as we go through this week, no matter what comes our way, that we would just be reminded of your wonderful love for us. God, I thank you for uh, giving us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray today for anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that right now your spirit would just draw them unto yourself and that they would say yes to you. And today would be the day of salvation for them. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.